Jesus, you have won me. You have broken every chain with love and mercy. I just, I just love proclaiming truth over that. Thanks, worship team. You know, they don't just like flippantly like come up with that. Just get some songs together for Sunday. It's like there's, you know, there's prayer, there's thought, there's a lot of consideration that goes into the song list. And the song list actually triggers a lot of thought in the in the meeting in the service. Um. Yeah, so those of you who don't know me, I am John Berry. I'm from America, but actually I'm now officially longer in South Africa than, than I was in America. So, so <laughs> I don't have a South African passport, but I have an ID book. Been here 26 years. I'm married to Abuda Macy, Liesl, and I've got three kids, Joshua, Anna, and Robert John. So nice to, it feels like actually coming home because we were nomads for many years, Durbanville AM. And uh, during COVID, we had no venue. We got kicked out of Stellenberg High School. And so we were traveling around. And we used to come here at like 1230, I think, or something on a Sunday and have a service. So it's nice. Your sound is better than our sound. So we got this fancy new church. Um, I did have a lot of building envy or church envy coming here, seeing like Paul Loins' photos and drawings and cool furniture. But now I don't have envy anymore because we've got an amazing, amazing church that... Um, all of you, actually, much of the, the broader church community has, has donated for us to have. So it's beautiful. How's it, young man? We were in Durbanville together. Um, so, yeah, when the opportunity came up to teach uh, here, I was like asked by Kevin and the elders, anyone want to teach Edgemeen on the 5th? I was like looking around. I was like, mm, you know, don't know why. And... Um, and then I thought, like, oh, I'll just use one of my preachers I had in my back pocket that was, you know, got a nice response before. So I don't, now I don't know you guys, so I don't have to dig that deep for, like, you know, do big study and stuff. So I can kind of wing it. And <clears throat> that week, I just started to download stuff. Literally driving, I'd have to grab, pull over a piece of paper. Like, he just started speaking. And it just impressed what was on his heart for you. And so it's always a blessing when God does that. You know, it's like... Oh, you don't have to like work up something in yourself. Um, God ha- has a message for you guys. And so it's encouraging just to have Rion's confirmation on, on, on the topic. But before I begin, um, there was a scripture that was shared in the prayer meeting. I think it's Laura. Laura, where are you? There she is. You want to share that, that word, that scripture? And she said in the prayer meeting, she said, I was going to share this like a prayer meeting last week, but then I missed it. So that today's the day. So it's working for today. No, no pressure, huh? <laughs> Something about Romans. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> So I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's Romans fifteen thirteen. 
And I just felt that um, when the Lord gave me the scripture, it was about that we need to be a church that pray for one another. Um, and not just, uh, you know, quiet, um, graceful praise, but powerful praise to pray for, pray for people inside the church and outside of the church because it shows the loss that we have a hope in God when we pray for one another, that, um, that we really believe that God will do what we are praying for and um, that we are called to pray for one another and to lift one up another in prayer. So the main theme was it was like the the togetherness and, and the building and knitting together that God is wanting to do in this house. And um, yeah, I really believe God wants to do something supernatural today. That, that means that's against the natural. Um, and, and I also asked like, I always ask like, if I'm going to share something, what do you, what do you want to say to them? Besides the message, like, is there anything like else? And you, you asked for a word of encouragement, but it, it was kind of a, a critical word. It was two words. He said, he said, Edgemead is, is biased, and, um, and people do have a preconceived idea of others. Now, that, that sounds quite harsh and judgmental or, or rebuke, but it's actually human nature. We are we're all biased. You know? We always, like, we don't think the best first for somebody. You know? We, we have preconceived ideas on others. And that's something that God is wanting to undo. And I even just look at the, the definition of biased. Um, it says to have prejudice or to show inclination towards another. Inclination, inclination means to have a natural urge to feel a particular way. So it's like, you know, you, you have a preconceived idea. It's, it's natural. So that's our natural response. So God is wanting to do something supernatural and undo that and establish something new in our minds and hearts. So this message today is entitled, The Supernatural Love of God. His love is a very different love than our kind of love. I had a friend of mine who was invited to, to teach at another church. And when he got there, they're like, so, you know, what are you going to be teaching on today? Like, give us a little hint. He said, oh, I don't, I'm going to teach on the love of God. And the guy was like, oh, like, haven't you got a deeper teaching than that? You know, like something cool, like something about healing or something about angels and demons or, you know, like, how can you get a deeper teaching than the love of God? I mean, he is love (laughs) and he's dwelling in us and he wants that love to run through us into all mankind. And um, I didn't give you guys any of my scriptures. Sorry. Hello, sound desk. Can you guys dig up 1 John 4, 16? Actually, I'm going to read it since I have it written here. It says, there's a delay. So we have come to know, to believe the love that God has for us. For God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see, so, so God is not a, a purpose-driven God. God is entirely motivated by love. It's a sacrificial love. We, we know this. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So it's a sacrificial love that flows from him. And God does not just love you. We start off the meeting saying, oh, God loves you. I mean, that's just like, no disrespect, that's just a matter of fact. We know that, oh, God loves me. I know he loves me because I'm so amazing. You know, that's why he loves me. But God does not just love you. God is, he is in love with you. He's in love with you specifically. And that makes it personal. That makes it impactful. And that's the kind of love that he loves us with. And it's a very different love than, than the love of this world. And 
I think God knows that every human being's greatest need is to be loved. I mean, he made us. So he knows that's our greatest need. It's, it's essential as food and water. You know, the Germans, they did experiments on humans in World War II. Um, they tried to train people to, to be cruel. Um, they, would, they would train their soldiers uh, by giving them a puppy. They would give them an Alsatian or a German shepherd. And they'd have to raise that puppy. And after about a year of bonding with that puppy and loving that dog, they would make him shoot the dog. So they would experience what it's like to be tough and to not have mercy and to not have love. And they did also did experience on babies where they had babies and they gave them everything they need. They gave them food, they gave them water, and they kept them warm and everything, but they purposely didn't love them. And all the babies died. So, so love is essential to human life. And, and, and Mother Teresa, if you, if you look at her life, she spent her whole ministry, you know, unto the poor and the poorest of the poor. And she had, she had this to say. She, she could really define poverty. She said this quote. She says, we think poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. But true poverty is being unwanted and unloved. So there's, there is a big difference between humanistic love and, and worldly love and, and the love of God. And, and often, I don't know if you guys have seen movies or shows like America's Got Talent or Idols. Maybe it's just me that's watched them or my wife. Um, and these celebrities, they're always like, oh, man, I love you. Like, man, oh, I love you so much. And, and, and you know, they're very flippant. And, you know, like worldly love is like, I don't care what you do or who you are or whatever. You know, I just love you, whatever you decide you want to do. He's like, I just love you, man. And, and that's just this flippant <laughs> worldly love. Um, and it's, it's a different love than the love of God. Jesus speaks of, of love. In, in regards to the actual end times, this, this worldly love, he actually draws it out. In Matthew 24, he's actually talking about the end times. He's talking about all the signs that are coming with end times. And there's a warning. And, he, and he's talking about a great falling away that will take place. He says in the end times, he says the love of many will grow cold. And how many of you know that if you're in a relationship or in a marriage and your love is growing cold, it's usually... Because there's love for another. You know, where there's adultery and those things like that. That's how love goes cold. So, so he's talking about the love of many. He's talking about the many that are believers, that are Christians. He's saying, he's saying these people, their love is going to grow cold. And what is that love going to be? It's, it's the love of the self-life. It's, it's, it's the love of this world. And so he's prophesying there's going to be a great falling away to come. As people allow worldly love and the love of this world to, to dominate their heart instead of the love of God. You see, to love is to serve, and to lust is to take. See, worldly love is a shallow love. It's, it's self-motivated. You know, people um, in, in, that exude the worldly love, you know, they'll love you as long as, as you make them happy. But that's not the love of God. That's a self-seeking love. So I wanted to share with you uh, just a, a testimony, actually a story just um, a journey I've been on and just allowing the love of God to become more and more of a flow in my life. Actually, I haven't been trying to. It's just been happening. It's just been like, you know, I was ministering to a guy the other day and I was with Gerard Klaassen. Many of you know him. And we were doing deliverance on a guy and I was just chatting to him. And Gerard started, started crying. He says, when you're speaking, I just, 
I saw the love of the Father just coming out of you, and I just like wanted it so much. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was just like talking to the guy, and you know, I wasn't trying to be particularly nice or anything, but it was like the anointing had come, and there was this flow of the love of God. It just started pouring out to this person. And so another occasion was where, um, uh, yeah, there was a couple in our church, and I just want to be as honoring as possible. They're, they're not here, and I'm not naming names. Um, but they're a couple that been in our church for many years, and, and they served in many capacities. But they, they always had, life was really hard for them often. And as elders, you know, we're trying to bring them through and trying to help wherever we could. But there was always resistance. They always wanted advice. They always wanted help, but never really willing to take it. And so this is their, this is, this is our understanding of them. And, and so we started overseeing a community, and now they've joined that community. And they've been in that community for, for many years. And so it's like, oh, you know, oh, that couple, you know, we're going to hold them lightly and that type of thing. And, um, and we had some, some problems. The one woman wanted um, to organize a, a prayer meeting for her daughter, and her daughter didn't really want it, and they wanted to do, like, deliverance for her. And I was like, no, like, like the daughter must want it, not like mom wants what's best for her daughter. And she's an adult, the daughter, you know? So, so I was, like, kind of, like, pulling up the handbrake, and then she went around and, like, got some of the other elders who don't know the situation to try to organize this thing. And then I, like, I came in the last minute. I said, I put a, like, stop to it. So... So there was a bit of a wedge there. So when I would go to community to visit, you know, every other week, you know, when you come through the door and like people like you, they see you and they go, oh, nice, you're here, you know. When I came through the door and I just got this look, you know, like, oh, John's here, mm. you know. So, so, and that's how it was for like a year or so or whatever. And then um, after one service, I think I was preaching or leading that day, and I, and I come around the back, and then she cornered me and the husband. And I was like, listen, um, our son's girlfriend is in Joburg, and she's in this rehab, and she's been in and out of rehabs, and now she's like every day she's trying to take her life. And, um, and they don't want to deal with her anymore because she's so suicidal. Like, we bring her back to Cape Town, you know, like, would you deliverance on her and pray for her? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, the boyfriend doesn't even come to church or come to calm. I don't know if he's saved. I don't know if they're living in sin or what. And the girlfriend, I mean, what's her background? So I was thinking, like, all the reasons why it's probably not a good idea that we, we do this, you know, because you don't want to do deliverance on a person and all these demons come out and then what? And they're not established in the truth or in the word, and then it's like seven times worse than before. So everything was in me just saying, like, no, it doesn't meet the mark, doesn't qualify for this, like, you know, and then somehow these words came out and said, Sure, I'll organize some people to pray for her. <laughs> and I thought to myself, yeah, it doesn't tick all the boxes, but, you, but, but what if? What if this is the moment that God breaks into her life? What, is this, what if this is the moment that will change her heart for the, for the rest of eternity? What if this is that moment? And, you know, we often have those times to, to leave the 99 for the one, to actually break the rules. You know, it doesn't make sense. She's not a part of the church. I don't know if she's saved or whatever, but like, you know what? God could reach her. I know him and I know his love is great for her because it was great for me too. And so next week, um, I had breakfast with the boyfriend's dad. And I wasn't trying to fix him or tell him how to get out of his financial situation or whatever. 
I just tried to get to know him. I was always trying to fix him, you know. And I was looking at him and I was like, yo, I'm praying for your, your son's girlfriend tonight. And that's odd. And then I'm looking at him, I was like, you know what? You've been under our, our direct care for over three years. I've never asked you for coffee. I've never asked you guys over for a meal. I wanted to avoid him as much as possible. I had preconceived ideas about who this person was. And, and, you know, it's like we have those people in our life. There are Judases in our life. The people on your last on your list. You got some free time. You want to have someone over for supper. There's people at the bottom of the list and there's people at the top. Okay? So I, I want to ask you guys to go for the jugular, man. Go for Flip the list. All right? Jesus said to love your enemies. We have people that aren't even our enemies. I mean, we, it's even still too difficult to love them. So, so anyway, this, we, we prayed for this girl. And um, I mean, it was just she went on with the stuff that she was involved with. I was like, oh, my word. Like, I've never heard this much, like, damage as one, one can do to themselves. And at the end of the evening, I saw joy in her eyes. I saw a smile on her face. I saw, like, even everyone said, like, she hasn't looked at that for years. She was free. And she's on a beautiful road to recovery. And I was like, how, much, how many times have I stifled the love of God from reaching to somebody because of my own bias, my own preconceived ideas, my own comfort zones? You know, the enemy wants nothing other than to divide us. That's his number one strategy. And I can tell you this. The people that are hardest to love in your life are the ones who are desperate and need it the most. Even at your family, workplace, there's that guy, you know. Make that guy a cup of coffee or that girl or that uncle or whatever, you know. That's, that's the kind of love we call to. It's an uncomfortable love. It's an uncomfortable place. But the good news is we don't have to do it with our own strength. We just, we just make use of his love. And I want to teach and unpack more of that. And, and this is, you know, like, you know, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. All these things. If you want to get really free, right? You don't just forgive somebody. You forgive and bless. That's, that's going for the jugular. Okay? That's loving the least, doing all this. That's, that's God's upside down kingdom tactic. You know, we know everything is in reverse. The kingdom is like you give to gain, you know, die to live, you know? So, so do the opposite. Love those who you want, who, who you naturally love the least. And the interesting thing is when you, when you start to have a flow of the love of God in your life, you start to become addicted to it because it's actually a different kind of love. I remember when I first got saved, um, we were planting a, a community in um, the township in Mandela Park. It's in, it's in Hout Bay. And we were talking to the people there, and we're chatting with this girl, and this lady was so depressed. I was like, how's it going? What's your name? And, you know, we were sharing, and she's like, I'm sad. I was like, why? She said, because I don't have money, and I don't have a job. And she just started sobbing. And, and something in me caused me to get up. I flopped down on the dirty floor, and I just started howling in tears and praying and grabbing her ankles and just praying that God would bless this girl. I didn't know her from a bar of soap. And I'm sitting in the dirt and my tears are covering all over her feet. And that night, I left. She left and she was like smiling. And I left and I was like, who was that? Like, 
I've been saved like a year. That was not John. What am I doing in the dirt, in the shack, don't even know this person, crying over them, beg, grabbing them, begging that God would bless them. It's, it's the love of God. It's not my love. It's not human love. It's not John's love. And when you start to, to feel that love, you start to get addicted to it. And then you start to feel the difference between what is God's love and what is, what is worldly love, you know? And, and you know when you're not doing it. And so it's like an education that starts to take place. It's like, like a river, you know, when it starts, starts as a stream and then it starts to turn into a flow. Like you don't have to tell it, like do anything to get the river to have momentum. It's flowing. So once the, once the love of God is flowing through you, it's just like, it just, it takes over and, and it's a beautiful thing to experience. Um, the scripture in 1 John uh, speaks of this beautifully. I don't know if you guys can pull up 1 John 4, 7 to 14. 1 John 4, 7 to 14. Sorry for my lack of preparation, guys. I was going to put a little paper with all the scriptures and come in. But we were late, and, you know. Had to attend the prayer meeting. But it's good. So I'm just going to kick in and maybe, okay. So it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves can be born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love, and in this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Interesting word, ought. Like if I had a bucket of petrol and I held a match, it ought to light. Yes? Yes, you would agree. It's definitely going to light. So if God loved us, we ought to love one another. It's a natural, it's a product of him being in us, is this outflow of his love. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Isn't that interesting? No one's seen God, by the way, but if you love one another, he's actually seen. Actually, the invisible God becomes visible. When the world looks at edge mean, they can see the visible God of how you love one another. I just want to share something that happened uh, two weeks ago at our church. Uh, we were singing this song, and um, it was like, show me your glory. You know that song, Brandon Lake? It's like a song. And this friend of mine, he was, he was, he was crying out, Let's, Lord, I'll show you your glory. Like, I want to see you. I want to taste you. I want to see your glory. You know, like... We get like that sometimes. Lord, I'm going to see the awe and wonder of heaven, the angels, the throne, like Jesus' face. Like, Lord, show me your glory. Like, oh, you're so awesome. And then God started to show him pictures of people's faces in the congregation. People that have walked with him. People that have loved him when he was full of nonsense. People that helped pull him through, you know, when he was down. Isn't that interesting that God reveals his glory right through us? It's how he wants to be revealed. It's how he wants his glory to be revealed. It's through us in the relationships that we have. That's the glory of God. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amen? So I want to um, share this story 
about the supernatural love of God. It actually takes place in a courtroom. I think it's in, in America. So a policeman named Vandebroek recounted an incident where he and other officers shot an 18-year-old boy, and then the, the policeman burned the body to, to cover the evidence. They said they turned it on the fire and rolled it around like a piece of meat to destroy all the evidence. And eight years later, Mr. Vanderbrook returned to the same house and seized the boy's father. The wife was forced to watch as the policeman bound her husband on a woodpile, poured gasoline over his body, and then ignited it. The courtroom grew hushed as the elderly woman who had lost first her son and then her husband was given a chance to respond. What do you want from Mr. Vanderbrook? the judge asked. She wanted Vanderbrook to go to the place where they had burned her husband's body and gather up the dust so that she could give him a decent burial. With his head down, the policeman nodded in agreement. Then she asked a further request. Mr. Vanderbrook took all of my family away from me, and I still have lots of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like to embrace him now so he can know my forgiveness is real. Some in the courtroom spontaneously began singing Amazing Grace as the elderly woman made her way to the witness stand. But Mr. Vanderbrook did not hear the hymn. He had fainted, physically overwhelmed by his grace. You see, there's a difference between mercy and, and grace. Mercy is treating others better than they deserve. But grace is divine influence that comes upon the heart. And that's the kind of influence that God impresses on us to love one another's with. Amen? I really believe it was supernatural strength that actually enabled Christ. I wouldn't say supernatural strength. I, think, I believe it was the love of God that enabled Christ in his human body to get to the cross. Like, how many of you have seen the movie The Passion? Okay, quite a few of you. So, so we know Jesus was 100% man, he was 100% human, and he was 100% God. You know, he came as a child, he grew up. So he faced every temptation that we face. He faced screaming babies in the background when he was preaching. You know, all kinds of stuff like that. And so he had to endure things in his human body. He had to experience what humanity goes through. And so, so scientists and theologians, you know, they try to, like, what did Jesus endure, you know, before he got to the cross? Well, they say from all the, the flogging, I mean, despite all the beating and the punching and smacking and tearing out the beard and everything, um, he must have lost about a third of his blood through, through the flogging and everything that had taken place. He was, he was beaten. Most people would have just died. Any other normal human would have just died. I mean, he was a normal human, so hear me out. And then he had to carry, I think it was a, yeah, it was a 130 kilogram solid wood cross, 600 meters, okay, up a hill. So you can imagine if you lost a third of your blood, I know if I went to, and donated like a liter or whatever, I'm like, Whoa. you know, can you imagine like a third of your blood gone? And then, and so, but the scripture says it was the joy 
that was set before him, that he endured the cross. It's the joy and the love of God. He knew the greatness that it was going to bring. So, you know, you get women who like lift up cars, their, their babies stuck. I read the story, um, junior high school student, he was like 12 or 13, and the mom came out because they heard the car crash and collapsed on him. He was working on the car. So a middle-aged woman picked up a car, you know, and moved it four inches over to, to get her son out. So <laughs> that's the kind of endurance that, that Jesus had in his humanity. He loved so much, like that woman loved her child so much. So Jesus loved so much that he was able to endure that so that he could actually pay the price and lay himself down on the cross You know, love, loving others doesn't actually come naturally. And, but love is actually a fire extinguisher to anger, to divisions, you know, to disunity, and, and also against the spirit of this world. The spirit of this world does not want to love. You go into work, what, what, do, you, what, kind of, what do you see? You see territorial people. You see people who are just trying to get you know, things done their way, you know? Like, it's, it's, a, it's an aggressive culture that's that's in the world and and the love of God just cuts across that culture and just to share a story when I was it was my 30th birthday I was in Durban I've been like Christian maybe a year and we went to this restaurant so like five or six in the car and as we pull up I see this like I hear some shouting going on I hear some commotion there's this lady she's got her robe on she's got curlers in her hair and she's like 70 and she's like she's like really angry and, and I see this handmade sign on the grass. So I'm like pulling these cars everywhere. I'm like, oh, there's nowhere to park. So I try to park like right in front of the restaurant. But I had to park like on the grass. And then I see in front on the grass there's a sign. Do not park here for the restaurant, you know. But it was like, you know, made in like a crayon or whatever. And, and, and I thought, well, I won't, you know, get up to the sign. I'll just pull back a little bit. Like I could see like a clearing in the grass and I just left that. You know, and I thought it was like parked okay, and I and I got out and I could see this woman just like, can't you read that sign? There's no park here for the restaurant. She's like, yeah, like this is her Friday night. Like you could see, like this is what she does. She comes out and she she was like a block of flats behind her, so she's defending her turf. <clears throat> and I and instead of you know I was going to justify, well I wasn't you know that close and you can there's space and you know. Instead, I, I don't know, it came over me. I just walked straight up to her. And I looked her in the eye and I just said, I love you. And I meant it. Like, I was like, I love you, you know? And she just went, hmm. she was just like, her finger was like this and it just went like this. And she's like, well, just can you park over there, please? You know, like, totally, totally diffused her. It was just like, <laughs> just like she was not, she was expecting like a fight, you know, these teenagers, like party animals, like, you know? And, and instead, I just like, Here's, God, here's some of God's love, like, you know, have some of that rather instead of antagonism. And it was amazing for me to see as a young Christian, I was like, wow, the love of God is real. Just like, just like disarm this woman, you know. And um, that's the kind of love that we need to live. But there, there's love, there's love barriers in our life, okay. There's these little blockages. I just want to share three of them. And one of them is, is, is a lack of vulnerability, Okay. When you are not vulnerable, you're not, you're not showing your heart. When people see your heart, they can trust you. They can trust what you have to say. They can see your character, you know. Maybe they see your gifting and, or maybe your leadership position, whatever. But until they see your heart, you, how are you going to 
speak truth into people's lives. So we need to learn how to be vulnerable first. And second, biggest barrier is not receiving his love. Some of us feel like we're not worthy of his love. We don't, we don't measure up. So there's no, you're not plugged into the socket. If you can't receive him and his love for you, how on earth can you love others? Otherwise, you're just going to work it up out of human strength and it's just it's going to fall flat. And thirdly, the biggest barrier is, is selfishness and, and preserving your ego. And I've also been on this journey of learning about my, my ego lately. And, and I realize it's always on duty. It's like, it never, it's, oh, it's always there. It's always, it's always there. It's so funny. Like, why do we get so offended if someone, like, tells us something we already know? Like, what? what you know, like, of course I'm going to use my wife and driving as examples. You know, like, just indicate so you can turn left, you know? Like, Really? Like, I'm driving home. I've been driving for 40 years. Like, you, like, like, I don't know how to turn left and drive home. Like, why do I take such offense? Because of my ego. How could you tell me what to do? Like, I know what to do. Like, so what? Why do, you know? You get an email from somebody at work and say, like, oh, you're supposed to do this and that. Of course I know it. It's my department. Why can't we just, like, oh, they just made a suggestion. Why can't we see it as a suggestion? We see it as an arrow. Ugh. They told me, they suggested something, you know. <laughs> now, this thing is in operation all the time, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a barrier for God's, for God's love. You know, when, when we were first married, and if she would have said, oh, turn left here to go to the waterfront, you know, well, actually, we'd be turning right on the end one, you know, I would say, okay, love, I'll turn right here. Well, there's a waterfront. Like, I would have no problem with that. Even though I've, I've known where the waterfront is, and we, I could see it, and we I probably already had my indicator on, and she's saying turn right anyway. But that wouldn't offend me, well, because I'm oozing with the love for her, right? <laughs> so we must be oozing with the love of God, so we can get over our ego. Hey, that is once you once the, so that's like this is a giant JoJo tank of God's love. There's a tap here, okay? And I'm just gonna like turn ego off, and then <laughs> the love of God can can flow freely. That's why that's why I couldn't love that couple. Because my, my ego was in the way. I couldn't stand to invite for dinner. You know? I was like, no, I'm too cool for you. I'm going to waste my time. <laughs> so when talking about the supernatural love of God, a person comes to mind. And it's, yes, you would think Jesus. But some, you, you all know well, you planted this church. Will Murray. And... When Andrew was preaching at his funeral, and he was talking about his life, and we're hearing the testimonies of his life, and all these people speaking, and I knew him as well. And he said, "These words." He says, "Who's Will's gone? Who's going to love like Will? Like that's impossible. How could someone know so much detail about so many people's lives all over the place? It's a supernatural love of God that was flowing in him." And so he asked the question, and I'm asking that to all of us. Who's going to love like Will? Will you? Will I? Because I think we need to come and face the fact that a decision needs to be made. The invitation is still out there. And this is what I want to ask you people. Will you become the love of God? Will you become it? Will you become it 
in this generation, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, whatever sphere of influence he's given you, would you become the love of God? Would you be manifested in this earth at this time? And so that's the invitation, I feel like, from God, the Father's heart for us. So if you're feeling that is you, that you want to become like that, you want to become the love of God that he bled for, he carried that cross for, please, please stand to your feet. It's, it's, a, it's just a decision. Like, when, when I got married, I was speaking to my grandmother. She was married 65 years. She had four children. All of her children had children. All of her four children got divorced. All of her grandchildren, they all got divorced. And now it was my turn to get married. So there were five grandchildren. They were all divorced. And I was just about to get married. And, I was, and then she couldn't come because they were old and they couldn't come to South Africa and she said, John, why can't the family just follow our example? Like, we've loved each other for 65 years. And, like, no one else has done that. And I, just, I decided then, I said, you know what, Grandma? I said, we're going to do it. We're going to set the example for the next generation. I made that decision, my wedding speech. I told everyone, I said, you know what? God doesn't believe in divorce. And, and I, I just said, cut off that thing right now. I said, we, we're going to stop. My wife and I, we, we're going to represent God's love in this generation and the next generation. I pray that for you three kids, that you hold on to God's love. And you will not let the enemy come and divide you and your spouse. Because there's an attack on all of us. So it's a decision. If you, you're standing here because you believe you want that to be you, then let's pray together. And maybe I can just... Maybe we can just lead you in this prayer. Let me just, let's just lift our hands and just receive of him. This place is posture ourselves in a place of just receiving his spirit. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to represent you. I want to see your love perfected in me, in my life. I want to make the invisible God visible on earth. Give me a double portion. Give me a super portion. A super portion of your love, Lord. Replace my love that gets so fatigued and that's got ego in the way. And give me your love. Give me your forgiveness that has no end. There is a ceaseless supply of it. I receive it now by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen.